0: This episode of Holly Randall Unfiltered is brought to you by Balesa.co. Balesa is a completely badass adult entertainment website for women. Launched just under a year ago, Balesa has quickly grown to become a premier destination in porn, with millions of women around the world joining the community. There are three main things that you can find on Belessa: Steamy videos that prioritize female pleasure some of the best erotic fiction on the web featuring New York Times bestsellers, and articles that talk sex, relationships, and female health with recent features such as Can All Women Have Multiple Orgasms? and This Is How Long Sex Actually Lasts for Most Couples. Go to Belessa.co That's B-E-L-L-E-S-A dot and join the revolution. Today on the podcast, I have Chanel Preston. Chanel is a very popular porn star. She's also a very smart girl who has her own podcast called Sex Think. She also was one of the people who helped create APAC, which is the Adult Performer Advocacy Committee. Say that five times fast. (laughs) She's an advocate for performer health and safety, and she's just an all-around Really great girl, and I'm very excited to have her here on the podcast. So, welcome Chanel to Holly Randall Unfiltered. Back to the show, everybody. Today in the studio, I have the lovely Chanel Preston. Hi, Chanel. Hi. How are you? I'm
1: good. Thank you for having me. Are you
0: kidding me? Thank you for coming. <laughs> I'm always really impressed that people will actually like drive all the way to Koreatown to do this
1: show. Yeah, you know, I've even had people offer. They're like, "Oh, I'll come on your podcast." And I'm like, "Really? You're like offering? I don't have to ask." Yeah, I get the same thing. I've had people
0: like write me and request to come on. Though I get some very strange... I had one guy who's like, I guess he talks to the dead. Okay. And he's like a spiritual guy and he wanted to come on my podcast, which I thought was good. Was he like,
1: I think I could really contribute to the conversation.
0: Yeah, I don't
1: know. I mean, maybe...
0: I don't know. He was just... I think he was just looking for a platform. People love podcasts. They do. I love podcasts. I do too, actually. (laughs) They're... They're so great because I don't really have time to sit down and watch TV. I'm always busy. I'm always doing stuff. I feel like when I have time off, I'm cleaning my house and doing right. laundry. Right. That's like all I do. And so listening to a podcast while I'm doing all of that is just like one of my favorite things to do.
1: Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> I listen to it when I do my makeup and when I prepare for anal. <laughs> Those are like Wait my minute. prime time okay. podcasting moments. Okay, okay.
0: <laughs> We're going to need to elaborate on this last one. Why? Okay, first of all, this is actually a great segue because this is something that a lot of people don't know about that right. one has to prepare for anal. It's actually like you can't just like show up and like have butt sex. Yeah, it's, it, to...
1: there's a lot of preparation involved. So tell us
0: how you prepare for anal and like... How does a podcast play into that? (laughs) Okay.
1: So to prepare. And what podcast
0: do you listen to while you prepare for anal? Okay.
1: Okay. Well, so to prepare you, I mean, when you're working, you're working for hours. So you Mm -hmm. have to be cleaned for hours. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure you're clean, which could take some time. I mean, everyone cleans out differently. Mm -hmm. But for me, I use like a big enema bag, and I like sit there and I lay on my left side because that's ideal when you're doing an enema. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just kind of listen to my podcast and I'm like, wait. And I'm like, all right, I think i got to kind of just be clean now and then I'll do another enema. Like I sit there and I wait and I Okay, listen. that makes sense. Yeah, and then sometimes you got to kind of stretch out depending on how big the your partner is mm-hmm. going to be. Mm-hmm. And then um so I'll just kind of like have – Sex with myself while I'm listening to a podcast with a dildo or something. Please tell me you listen to like This American Life or something like that, like while you're like putting
0: butt plugs up. No. That
1: would be- <laughs> Wait, I have to, That's I actually
0: have- like one of my favorite podcasts. I, I won't lie.
1: You know, I Asa Kira told me about it. I think, and I was like, oh, I'll try it, but isn't it stories about real? It's like nonfictional storytelling. Or am am I, I, this American Life? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, yes,
0: they pick a theme every week and then they tell different nonfiction stories based on that theme. And they can be very loosely tied together. But it's really good journalism. It's always very well done.
1: So, that's not my thing. So, I I tried listening to it and I didn't like it. So, the ones I listen to are Stuff You Should Know, which I is a love very Stuff popular you one. Know. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> Another one is Intelligence Squared Debates. Okay. And they'll debate things like, you know, is Trump insane? Some of them are more funny, some of them are more serious, but mm-hmm. like, is Trump insane? And they'll actually have people debating. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to a, a science one by Michi Okaku. I just listened to like all different ones about random information.
0: I love... Yeah, that's also, too, what I love about podcasts is that you learn so much cool stuff. Yeah. You're
1: like, what the heck?
0: Like, and stuff that you would never, you know, purposely read up on. Like, so when I started listening to How Stuff Works, I... My two favorite podcasts, I think, to this day was the one on the history of vampires okay, and how, like, the whole myth around vampires came about and and vampires in different cultures. Because there's a undead, blood-sucking creature in pretty much every culture, like, ancient culture. So – and then they had a really good one about Barbie. Which I was surprised. I didn't think that would be interesting, but it was fascinating. There
1: is a documentary on Netflix now, and one of it's like episodic. So there's like mm. six, and one of them is on the history of Barbie. Yeah. And I thought the same thing. I'm like, whatever. And I was watching it, and I was like, oh my God, that's cutthroat.
0: Barbie World is cutthroat. Well, they're also like, what's hilarious <laughs> is Mattel was so out of touch with like modern times that right. they would release these Barbies that were so controversial. Like, remember the Oreo Barbie? No. Oh, they didn't talk <laughs> about that?
1: No. I was kind of like it working at the same time. Okay. So I was like
0: in and out. <clears throat> so they really <laughs> – So they did – Yeah. So they did this partnership with Nabisco, right? Okay. <laughs> so they would – It was really which, – Which is a bizarre
1: Yeah. Yeah. When, when was this?
0: Oh, God. Like – Probably late eighties or something oh, okay. like that. Long time ago.
1: Okay, because I knew it like went through some change in oh, leadership. Yeah. It's been through a lot. And the ones that were like old school were like, okay, the new people are crazy and bad at what they do.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't remember. I'd have to look it up. You can you can Google it and find these. But so they did like a partnership with Nabisco, right? And so they would have like a Barbie that would like be for some reason dressed up in like clothes that like had the Fritos logo on it or you know, like a purse like with free- like it was very strange. Like this like weird. the marriage of like a, like a sexy child's doll, which is essentially what Barbie is. With cookies. With cookies is just weird. So anyways, they made an Oreo Barbie and they made the Barbie black. <sighs> and so having absolutely no idea what like the racial epithet meant <laughs> Oreo. And um yeah it came out and like everybody freaked out. And then they pulled it very quickly.
1: Well, the weird one that I saw was the Barbie, and it was when I think a guy was in charge, mm-hmm. and his daughter was like going through puberty or something, and he, they, he created a Barbie where the boobs grew. Like, yes. you, you like flipped her arm, and her, she got little boobs.
0: Yeah, there was also a <laughs> pregnant Barbie, and you could take the baby out of the stomach, and then there's also been a Barbie. That's how that works. Yeah. And then there's also been a Barbie, a dog walking Barbie that came with a pooper scooper and poop that could come out of the dog. You'd like move the dog's tail and like poop came out of the
1: dog's poop and then you could... (laughs) They're getting a little too literal here. They're like, "All right, the dog's gonna poop everywhere, make a huge mess, and the women are gonna have to clean it up." I
0: know, right? (laughs) It was just, and then so one of my favorite stories was about um, like the talking Barbie, right? And feminists kind of went crazy about this one because the things that she said was, "Let's have a pizza party, let's go shopping, math is hard." I was gonna say that one, and that one everyone got really upset about, right? Right around the same time, G.I. Joe came out with talking um, dolls, figurines, whatever you call them. And they would say something like, To arms, good job, men, or I don't know, manly shit, you know, about war. And there was like a group of activists that would break in. uh, No, this is what they would do. They would buy the dolls. They would switch out their chips And then they would replace, they would return the dolls. So, like, girls would buy Barbies that, like, and they would press the play on Barbie and it would say, like, to arms, men, and like, get in there, men, and charge. (laughs) And then they would get the G.I. Joes,
1: and the (laughs) G.I. Joes would go, math is hard. Let's have a pizza party. (laughs) That was not in the documentary, but G.I. Joe was another one of the episodes, but they didn't talk about that. That's funny. Oh, so good. It was
0: yeah. I was like crying. I mean, just all of the mismanagement that went on, and then like they tried to make like a um, like a updated Ken, like a cool Ken. Mm-hmm. They made like Raver Ken, and he just ended up looking super gay. He had, like a short mesh shirt on, and like an earring, right. and. So, like, the gay community went, like, kind of crazy about that.
1: And it was just, like... Well, then there was, like, the competition with the Bratz dolls, which they were talking about, where, like, once the Bratz dolls came on, they took, like, 40% of the market. It was insane. Yeah. And Barbie was like, no. (laughs) Then they tried to do their own, like, urban Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) But it didn't didn't go over so well. I used to love Barbie. (laughs) I
0: mean, I really loved Barbies. I remember... Going into Toys R Us and standing in the Barbie aisle, and it was just pink as far as the eye could see, and it just made me so happy.
1: I got over my Barbies really young, and I remember when I did, because yeah. my mom was like, we were having a garage sale, and I was, I was like, take these. It was like a box of my Barbies. She's like, are you sure? I was like, I'm done. And did- she just took them all, and I was done, and ne- never looked back. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never
0: regretted it. <laughs> I, um, did, you have, did your Barbies like, have sexual encounters with each other?
1: You know what? I don't remember if Mine they did. Mine totally
0: did. I my my Barbies were all lesbians. Oh, they would scissor on a regular basis. Okay, like I was very sexual with my Barbies, and I remember being so like kind of ashamed about it and like scared. Like I thought maybe there was something wrong with me because right. I was so obsessed <laughs> with like making Barbies have sex. And you know, obviously, I grew up like the children of uh, the child of pornographers, so. I was kind of surrounded by sex even though my parents never showed me their work like I knew what they did.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, but yeah, I don't know. I didn't know the
1: other girls. You like, still make women scissor. I know, do I do. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And the best part is this is not my idea anymore. <laughs> You're like, well, this isn't so fun in real life. Yeah,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. So um, I... Uh, yeah, so I would... Yeah, my Barbies like had sex all the time, and I was always—I don't know—I I always thought I was really weird about that. And I remember when one, when I finally admitted it to one of my girlfriends when I was young, and she like admitted that she did the same thing, and I was God, so relieved. God, like, I'm, so I'm not lame. the only
1: one. I'm so lame because I bet a lot of girls did that, but yeah. I don't remember. I was really young when I gave them up, though. Okay. So maybe I didn't even have them by the time I got to that stage. Maybe you weren't
0: at yeah like the because I remember
1: stage. going through a stage like a weird sex thing stage where yeah. I didn't know it was sexual, but it was like an exploration, like with my friend. Okay. We would play house, uh-huh. and she'd like be the doctor. It was—it's so typical, like, it's, like, so, like, oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna check out your genitals, and I'm gonna do this. And I remember one time, I she was like, okay, you have to close your eyes. So I did, and she was like doing things to my body. And I remember she like put something on my vagina, and it was my toothbrush, and I got <laughs> so mad. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, why did you do that? And then another time, I, I. I put her Which in... Which end of the toothbrush is she put in, by the, the way? The teeth part. What? It wasn't like in, but she was like scrubbing my pussy with it. Oh,
0: because she was like trying to clean you? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I was like,
1: really? My it's- toothbrush? So I hid her in a trunk one time naked. Like I tied her up and I put her in a trunk and she was like, help me. Help. Like we were playing. yeah You know, and mind you, this was a very... Christian family, like mm-hmm. hardcore. To this day, they're just like hardcore Christians. Your family? No. Her this, family. Yeah. Okay. And I I put her in a trunk naked, tied her up, and, <laughs> and she was like, help me, help me. Um, and her mom walked in right then, and <gasps> she couldn't hear her mom walk in, so she continued to like bang on the trunk and say, help me, help oh, me. Oh, no. And I remember when her mom opened it, I was mortified. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Did your mom just completely freak out? You know, I don't remember what happened. It's possible she just, like, called my mom and it was like we had maybe a talking to. But I don't remember what happened after that, really. Wow. I just remember being so embarrassed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you – you don't talk to that girl anymore, do you?
1: No. Like – I, I don't see her anymore. I mean, like we, our families were friends with my whole family was friends with them. So right. once in a while, like my mom will talk about them and see the mom, but I don't really see her anymore. I just wonder what happened to her like if she became. Like, well, a I know dope. what happened to her. She's she's actually living in Santa Clarita now. Oh, okay. And she is married to like a stunt double. Oh, okay. And she has a bunch of kids. Okay. So she's not, like, a dominatrix. No, she's still, like, exactly how I thought she'd end up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Normal, quote, unquote. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And, like, my family just ended up not normal, so I was always like, ugh. (laughs) They're so perfect. What happened to
0: us? Yeah, well, you never know what happens behind closed doors. That's true. They may not be so perfect.
1: Oh, I don't know. seems that way. I feel like they are, though. Yeah. Yeah. I oh, will. <clears throat> um, so
0: you have a podcast?
1: I do. So tell me about your podcast. So it's been in the works for a while. Um, I have a close friend. He was a political activist in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, and he's and he was uh, he had like a show on Fox News, and he's kind of been out of it for a long time now. But he um, just we, give up. No, I think he had some personal stuff going on. And so he just sort of like fell out of it. Yeah. And um, he still does stuff here and there now. But we've been wanting to do a podcast together. And it's, I'm really bad at making it sound exciting, but it's really good. (laughs) We've only done a few episodes so far. But it's called Sex Think. It's all one word. And it's about, it's it's a sex podcast, but it's more about like politics, social issues, current events through the lens of sexuality mm-hmm. because there's so much sex tied into what's happening today. Right. Even though you don't really think so. Like when you talk, when you're like reading the news, like the political sta- uh, scandals and Trump being a misogynist, like it's always so much of it is tied into sex. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to take that angle because a lot of people haven't right and i mean most podcasts that are sex podcasts i feel like are very this is how you do it like g- give a good blow job or yeah. you know and i was like ah, that's been done so yeah um we just started it we kind of just want to like challenge conventional thinking around sex and other like topics and that's kind of gotten us in trouble a few times but that's okay Tell
0: me about what's gotten you in trouble.
1: Well, I mean, we just like to explore different angles and perspectives. Okay. And people don't like that. Mm. Because if you mention – I mean, like with the, all, all the sexual harassment things, if you don't follow, like, the strongest narrative, people get really angry at you. Yeah. They get angry if you even consider, like, well, maybe it's the woman's fault or maybe this. You know, that's – I'm simplifying it. But, yeah. you know, if you – It's not always just – there's two sides to every story. Right, and if you even explore the gray area, right. it makes you like it means you're like like I told you earlier some girl yeah. accused me of perpetuating assault against women because I didn't go along with like the 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 strongest narrative, I think. Right. So.
0: Yeah, it's 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 an awkward topic because Everybody speaks from their own experience, yeah. and not everybody's had the same experience.
1: Right, and I said that in one of my um, Instagram posts, and that one in particular she brought up to me. Mm-hmm. And basically, there, uh, Saturday Night Live did a skit called Welcome to Hell. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was like a bubblegum pop video, and all the uh, comedian, female comedians were in this bubblegum pop video, and they were singing, they're going. Basically, the message was hey, guys, you know, you think this has been happening recently, but it's always happened, and these are the things that are ruined for women. Parking lots, movie theaters, like making it sound like we can't even go outside without being, like, you know, just harassed and whatever. And Mm. I made a comment like, okay, this is fear-mongering. I know it was a joke and it was funny, Mm -hmm. but it it was like it was a joke, but they weren't. It was serious. Yeah. (laughs) The message was, like, real. Yeah. So I was like, this is such fear-mongering, and a lot of women don't feel like they're unsafe. Yes. So this isn't the message that all women want to give, and they're making it sound like we're just terrified to go outside. Yeah. Like, like, oh, my God, Holly, look both ways before you leave this door because there might be a man out there. And then (laughs) this office is going to be ruined for us. Because then we're going to be sexually harassed. So there's, was, a man, there's a man right there's there. There's a man right now. He's right
0: there. We should get out of here.
1: Watch your ass. He'll touch it. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that people do have bad experiences yeah. and I understand that. But the point I was making was that if this is a problem, I don't think we should be dealing with it through fear mongering. Right. So I wasn't saying like sexual harassment doesn't exist. I was just saying like I don't agree with how this is being handled. And she took that as – She just was not happy with that. Well, I think there's,
0: like, some seriously legitimate stories. Right. Like, it's great that it's come to light. Um, And there are also some people, too, who I think are just kind of grasping on to the trajectory. And they're like, oh, me too. Like, once this really (laughs) small thing happened to me 30 years ago. And, you know, I want attention for it. And it's like... It's, no. I know, and I hate that. Because it, it, what it does is it devalues yeah. the real stories. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. Did you read uh, Salma Hayek's um, New York Times? I believe it was New York Times or The New Yorker. I think it was New York Times. Her article about exactly her experience with Harvey Weinstein. I don't think I did. So that was like – it was a really powerful story, and that was a great example of exactly what this movement is about and mm-hmm. about like a real – Serious situation, so basically she turned him down for sex, and he made her life hell for years, like, with her movie Frida and, like, pulling funding and then trying to, like, take her story and cast another actress in her story. This is something she'd been working on for 10 years and then, like, not paying – like, it's very deliberate and very specific, and it's this – and as a producer, I could see, like, all these steps and all this agony and all these things that he did to her. Like, I could see how that would play out. And um, that, was, that was a great example of exactly what this movement should be about, men who are using power right. um, and, you know, to advance their own sexual agenda and then punishing you when you don't fall
1: through with it. Well, also, and I tell people this, that – I do believe it's a huge problem in the entertainment industry, yes. like big time. Yes. Um, but the entertainment industry, I don't believe, is representative of other industries. It's so atypical, the, mm-hmm. the entertainment industry. But that's, the, that's kind of been the the jumping off point for this Me Too thing. And I want people to know that, like, the entertainment industry is very, is atypical. So what's happening in the entertainment industry isn't necessarily exactly what's happening in all industries. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe it is. I guess I don't know. But the entertainment industry has for a long time worked that way. Mm -hmm. And I'm Happy to see that it's possibly changing, but it just because it's happening in the entertainment industry this much does it mean that every other industry kind of breeds that sort of culture yeah it's a very different industry, and even though even the 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 pay gap between women and men in the entertainment industry is different than other industries, but everyone's using the entertainment industry as this picture of what it's like everywhere right, and so I'm like just. I try to remind people, like, it's kind of an atypical industry, so just keep that in mind.
0: I mean, I think there's <laughs> definitely this, like, stories like that are happening in every industry. But I see what you mean. Like, it's not as prolific. It's not, you know, it hasn't. it's very,
1: it's been allowed in the entertainment uh, industry. Right. And it's for a long time.
0: Like, And I think also, well, I think, too, what the entertainment industry does is,
1: I mean. takes advantage of people who well, are desperate to make it big.
0: Yes. And also, too, it's based so much on your looks. Yeah. Like for you to make it in the entertainment industry, you generally have to be pretty good looking or like maybe at least interesting looking. (laughs) Maybe you're like ugly in like an interesting way, (laughs) you know, like the Steve Buscemi kind of thing. Right. But like generally it's, you know, it's – and so it kind of breeds, it preys on that, you know.
1: Right. Well, I tell people that – Attractiveness factor. When people criticize the porn industry, I'm like, listen, you know – In any industry where there's going to be a lot of young people that are trying to make it big, there's going to people be people that prey on them. And this happens in sports, mm-hmm. it happens in the mainstream industry, and it happens in porn. It's not mm-hmm. isolated to pornography. That's true, too, because <laughs> actually generally what
0: they're looking for is people in a younger age bracket. Right. You're right, because so, you know, if you want to, like, make it as an actress, generally you start – I mean, a lot of girls start, like, 13 or something Yeah, like modeling. That. Like, like, super, super young. Yeah. You don't start at, say, like, 35 where mm-hmm. – as in other industries, you tend to not advance to those positions until your 30s and your 40s, right. like, you know, in, in corporate environments, I don't know, in tech or... And the
1: way you work yourself, you work up, it's, is very different.
0: Right, because it's not based on a transient quality, which will eventually leave you, which is right. your looks. So it's right. based on experience, it's based on intelligence. and Production, And, and, and yeah. that all, um, you know, gets better as you get older. So it's a different kind of dynamic. Right, right. <clears throat> weird world. Do you find, though, that I mean, I don't know. I've never really worked in mainstream, but I've talked to a lot of girls who do work in the porn industry and have worked in mainstream. I remember Anna Fox actually specifically telling me this because she was a fashion model before she came into porn, and she said that the, the like, sexual harassment was so much more rampant in the mainstream adult industry than it is in the Adult industry. Yeah. Which is funny because you would think that it was like the
1: opposite. Right. It's not. I mean, that my experience has been the same thing. Like, I don't really like to work on mainstream sets. And if I get booked for something mainstream, I'm definitely prepared for the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's because
0: you're a porn – like, are you saying about stuff that you've booked after you became a porn star?
1: Yeah. So I think it's a little of both. I think it's the fact that I'm a porn star. And I think also – it's it's like pretty girl on set and the director mm-hmm. having power because I've been on sets where the director's just so just, ugh. yeah, And all over you and like, oh, I'm such a fan. And you're just like, this is so uncomfortable. I don't want to be here. I don't need to be here. And I've told my agent, I'm like, don't, mm-mm, I am like do not i do not want to do that again. That was yeah. really brutal. And I'm like, gosh, I've been on so many sets where people, like, People look at the scenes and think, oh, she has to be – she has to have been coerced into doing yeah. that. And I'm like having a good old time, but then on a mainstream <laughs> set, I'm like, oh, God, don't touch me. I'm so scared of you, you weird, creepy director. Because it's it's <laughs> unwelcome. It's so creepy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and, and I think also too – I don't think – I know these people think that they can take liberties with you because – You're an adult actress. Right. So they assume you're automatically a slut and you'll fuck anything that moves. And so they feel licensed to be able to behave that way towards you.
1: And also there's probably a lot of women that do accept these advances, not just porn stars, but um, actresses who want to make it big. I mean, actors do the same thing too. Um, But it was so typical. He's like – Talking about movies, he was going to – like he could put me in, and I was just like, oh, you're so gross. I don't want you to talk anymore to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, and
0: we can relate to, to the current story of our president who supposedly, you know, was having this affair with Stormy, and the reason that she was keeping up, you know, her – relation with him, whether or not it be sexual, I don't know. Right. But just, you know, like she obviously like was having dialogue with him and knew him and right. um, was because he kept promising her that he would put her on The Apprentice.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I read an interesting article and it was very much against the Me Too movement and mm-hmm. she was like, what about the women that want to do that? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's true. I I mean, there are. There are women who are like, yeah, I use my – I use sex for like to advance all the time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they – They have the right to do that if they want to. They do. (laughs) Like, there's a lot of women who are like, yeah. Yeah. I got it. I'm going to flaunt it. I'm going to use it.
0: I guess, I mean, what it comes down to basically is just consent. Right. But, I mean, men can be really bad at reading signs. Oh, yeah. And unless you come straight out and say it, which is incredibly awkward, like, what are you going to do? Walk in and say, like, I'm absolutely willing to sleep with you for this part, (laughs) you know? But
1: I also think the yes means yes Like campaign is – I think it's a little absurd to – it just kind of sort of takes the intimacy out of sex. But I think people are really poor about communicating with sex and I think that should be taught because if sex education is taught, then communication in sex should also be taught because we have really bad like interpersonal skills when it comes to relationships and that's not ever taught. No one ever teaches you how – To communicate about sex. They teach girls to say no. Right. So they're kind of like breeding us to be like, we're raped and assaulted and, you know, but – but the reality is like no one's gonna buy the cow if you give the milk away for free. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've talked about this a lot from a young age. Women are sort of socialized to feel like their sexuality is a prize or a gift, right? And and, and you don't just give that away. I mean, even my mom was like, "You have a gift." I mean, she was probably just trying not to say the words like mm-hmm. "you're gonna have sex one day" and mm-hmm. "you're a virgin," but she was like, "You have a gift, and you're gonna give it away to someone special one day." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that. I feel like that sort of makes. It just breeds like, ah, I'm I'm a victim. I, I do. I do think it sort of breeds that, like, mentality of if anyone tries to get it, ah, that's mine. Don't do that. Don't do that. But men don't ever feel that way, rarely. Yeah. Well, they're not socialized to feel that way. I know. Way. See,
0: I was never raised that way. Right. Well, Of <laughs> course, with my mom. Like, you know, I mean, my mom was like total, I mean, she was very footloose and fancy free with a lot of men, you know, <laughs> and my parents were swingers. So like they would go to the Playboy Mansion and she was like, see, they go to orgies and stuff and they were always so free about it. Right. And, um, you know, they, they never taught me any kind of like shame. Do you think that sexuality. has affected
1: how you deal with like sexual relationships yeah. yes. in a good way?
0: Abs- yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think like, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I've be- I've certainly been sexually harassed, um, it depends on the situation, but I think that I – it doesn't bother me as much as it might bother other people.
1: I'm the same way because, I mean, I've had – I just think
0: it's different for everybody.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've had people say, hasn't anything ever happened to him I'm like, yeah, but I'm never like, oh, men versus women. This is a yeah. man thing. I'm like, Oh, that guy's a douchebag. Bye. Right. Like, it's never been – this, this such, generalized
0: yeah. um it's not like all men are monsters yeah
1: and so it's more it's the same thing with girls i've had girls do things not even not necessarily sexual but just girls do shitty things too and i'm like oh she's she's dumb bye yeah. and it's it's never like a man versus woman thing for me but you're right based on people's experiences it's going to differ how yeah. they like perceive a situation
0: yeah i think that if i had had some really traumatic experience with you know um having a you know, a man sexually harass me, sexually exploit me, sexually, um, attack me, I would probably have a totally different
1: point of view. So I, and I agree, but I think there's a lot of women that haven't necessarily had those experiences that Mm -hmm. are kind of jumping on the bandwagon and Mm -hmm. they're like, I'm a victim too. And I'm like, just stop, just tell the guy to get the fuck out of here, (laughs) you know, but I mean, I, I shouldn't judge. Yeah, I, I hear
0: you. It's hard. It's a, it's tricky because it's like that fine line. It's like, you know, as a woman, you always want to support other women. Mm-hmm. And, you don't because there's so many women who do go through those situations and aren't believed and are, you know, shamed for mm-hmm. trying to come out and speak against somebody who's, right. you know, a powerful man who's trying to coerce them. So it's like you don't want to – but then also, too, there's – I think there's people who are just taking advantage of – or maybe just who don't
1: understand – what the movement really is about. It's, I always say it's sort of like this suggestive culture where (laughs) all of a sudden, if there's this narrative going on that like all women are being sexually harassed regularly, then people believe it. Yeah. And they, you know, they start believing it about themselves and it happens a lot where all of a sudden women are like, I'm, oh my gosh, I'm, I was sexually harassed yesterday. Oh, I just got sexually harassed. Like it's, it starts to become this, like they, their perception of everything changes. And to, sometimes that's good because sometimes people have had negative experiences that they don't realize what they were. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when we don't really have a lot of conversations about sex. They're mm-hmm. going, Oh my God, that, that was not right when I was 10 years old. That, yes, you know? Yeah. So in that way it's good. But then when you're kind of creating something out of nothing or something that wasn't as big of a deal, then it's kind of like, Okay, like you said, you're kind of like diluting the movement a little bit, right? The seriousness of it.
0: Yes, I I liked what you touched on earlier about how we're not taught communication, about how we're not taught really about sex in school, Mm -hmm. and it's always like this this taboo subject, you know, that like people want don't want you know parents don't want to teach their children like nobody wants to talk about it, like you know there's like almost no sex education in school, and I feel that if we were if we embrace that a little bit better. And we learned how to communicate um, that this wouldn't be such an
1: issue. Well, yeah. I mean, I think about that even with my podcast. I think, gosh, if we did communicate better and we had better sex education, this podcast probably wouldn't even exist because all these issues would not be, like, as rampant, I feel like. Right. (laughs) Because a lot of them do stem from us being, like, a very hyper-repressed but hyper-sexualized society. Right. Like, a weird dichotomy there is creating this, like, really – Weird atmosphere, yeah. around sex,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's—I mean—all of these things need to be teased out, and all of these things need to be talked about. So I think it's—it's it's really great that it's happening. And like, you know, like anything, the pendulum is always going to swing in an extreme one way or the other before it kind of settles down into like a more middle, right, middle swing. You know what I mean? So like, I think that there's there's these cases are going to come up where. You know, you feel somebody might be crying wolf and then, you know, people might be angry because you don't agree with absolutely everything right. that they're saying and, you know.
1: You know, it's tricky you're perpetuating. Though, because when you are dealing with criminal activity in like an intimate setting, it is difficult to know whether it happened or not and to mm. like... In court, that's that's really difficult. And people are like, we want more men to be accountable for their actions. And they should be, but it's a difficult terrain mm-hmm. because our justice system is based off of evidence. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of changing the rules a little bit for rape allegations. Mm-hmm. And that it's sometimes based solely on somebody just saying it happened mm-hmm. because people are worried about like the implications of if they don't believe someone right now. yeah. And I just think it uh, causes a little bit of a splinter in our justice system. Not that we have a great justice system, but yeah. that's the system that we have. And I uh, I think there are a lot of men being hurt because of this. But then at the same time, I think there's been a lot of women who have been hurt in the past because of it. So it's just like a weird complex thing.
0: Yeah. It's crazy. So we'll see where it goes. We definitely will. <laughs> <laughs> So besides that, what other topics do you guys normally talk about on your podcast?
1: Well, we have been focusing a lot on the sexual harassment thing just because it's been just everywhere. It's everywhere. Um, yeah. But we talked about double standards between men and women. Um, we talked about sexual fantasies, like what they are, why we have them, um, why people are afraid of them. We had a uh, sex therapist on that described like what they were and why we have them because I've always, I've always said that sexual fantasies are – like a v- not sexual fantasies, but like pornography is a visual repre- representation of what's in our mind, mm-hmm. and so basically, porn is like what we're kind of already already thinking, mm-hmm. and then it's very natural to have sexual fantasies, but that people are really afraid of them, and it kind of ties in with not being able to communicate. Right, and when people have certain fantasies, they're like, "What does this mean? Am I a bad person? Yeah, do I really want to do this in real life? Yeah," and I kind of equate it to um, understanding the difference between. Fantasy and reality in non-sex-based stuff, such as entertainment, like Mm -hmm. uh, violent movies and things like that. Most people can – they can say, okay, this is a fantasy. Mm -hmm. I like to watch these violent, crazy movies. But it doesn't mean I want to do that in real life. And when they're done with the movie, they go on and they can act like regular good citizens. Mm -hmm. But for some reason when it comes to sex – they don 't apply the same rules, yeah. they 're like, what does this mean? Oh my God, am I a horrible person it 's just like it 's just totally different. So we talked a lot about that on our um, on our like third episode i think
0: it 's interesting how especially American society really embraces violence mm-hmm. but really pushes away sex because even um, I remember so my, my ex husband was English. And when he moved over here, he couldn't believe, like, the violence on television at, like, 3 o'clock in the afternoon that, like, any kid right. could see. You know, like, I think Halloween was on or something like that. But then, you know, they'll censor, like, your boobs. <laughs> your boobs, And, like, whereas, like, in British Vogue and, like, French Vogue, they have, like, topless, like, you know, and, like, these right. fashion spreads. Sometimes the girls are topless or you can see their nipples and it's, like, not a fucking big deal. I mean, I remember so going to France words. and going to... Um, almost every beach there is topless yeah. and being like, oh, my God. And, I mean, I work in the porn industry, and I'm like, oh, my <laughs> God, I can't show my boobs. And then I, like, took my top off, and I was like, everyone's looking. Nobody, nobody was, was looking. looking. No one gave a shit. <laughs> no one cared. And then, like, literally 20 minutes <laughs> later, I was like, oh, this is, totally, this is
1: totally normal. Yeah. I was on a beach in France, and I remember doing the same thing. I was young. I was, like, 18. And I remember, same as you, being like, nobody even cares. But then there were these two guys <laughs> they were actually that th- were, like – Being really weird. And they were American, of course. They're like having a good old time on the beach, but they're so clearly having too good of a time. Like they're really liking all these boobies everywhere. Yeah. They're like, and
0: and it's funny because those guys came from a culture that doesn't allow you to do that. So to (laughs) them, it was really exciting. Whereas all the French guys, like, just don't care. Right. So it's like when you make something taboo, then, you know, that's when you create that kind of environment or that kind of. Right. You know, where guys were like, Oh my, oh my god. god. Oh my god. There was this one guy that I remember was like walking back and forth on the beach a lot, like and I'm pretty sure he was American. Right. And his family was like over there and he just kept like he was like going for a walk. And I was like, Oh my god.
1: I'm gonna go for a walk, honey. I'll be we, back in a Guys hour. think they're so
0: slick and they're just not. It's yeah. just like
1: we just we see you. We know. We know,
0: we know what's going on. <laughs> So you are also chairperson of yes. APAC Adult Protection Advocacy Advocacy
1: Committee. <laughs> Adult Performer Advocacy Damn it. Committee. It's okay. <laughs> it was close. I'm like, it's a lot of big words in there. I'm gonna- I know. It is pretty wordy. I didn't I didn't decide on the name. You
0: didn't? You I didn't. was there. Were you there when you when they formed? Yeah. Okay.
1: So there was like six of us that that started. Um, So I was there from the beginning and I, this year I stepped down. Mm -hmm. So it was, I was there for like four years. Wow.
0: Yeah. And tell me how, tell me about the organization, why it came about, what's it about, what you guys do.
1: So at that time there were a lot of industry shutdowns. Um, There was like the syphilis scare and there was multiple like HIV scares and, um, you know, as you know, a lot of people speak on behalf of performers who aren't even in the industry for one. And then, you know, people who aren't performers in the industry also try to speak for performers. So a group of us got together and we're like, this can't happen. Like, this is our, this is our, we're risking our health. We need to be the ones speaking up. So we created, we didn't want it to be a union. We wanted it to be a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. Um, And we From the beginning, we kind of decided, like, what is the biggest issue in the industry? And we decided it was really that performers are getting in and they're not educated about sexual health and they're not educated about the industry. Mm -hmm. So then they make really poor decisions that cause them to have negative experiences. And so our whole thing was really just trying to give performers the tools to have more positive experiences in the industry Um, and – I mean, I, I like to think that we did that a little bit. It was hard because it's all volunteer work. Mm-hmm. Everyone works full-time. Um, it's not our full-time job, and it was just hard to get things done. But mm-hmm. this is a challenging industry to do advocacy work in because it's sort of it, – it attracts people that are, like, anti-establishment kind yeah. of. Yeah, and, that's uh, it's a great way to put it. And <laughs> a lot of um, much younger people – um so it's just a it's a, it's it's a challenging industry to to advocate for but it's changed a lot i think in the past few years like yes. there's definitely a sense of camaraderie that wasn't quite there before, even though the industry back then was like a lot smaller, so maybe mm-hmm. it was different but um I think after Prop 60 people realized like they they want they were like this is this is my career this is my business and they really um like stepped up and they were mm-hmm. like okay we have to kind of protect ourselves and protect our industry.
0: Yeah and and the success with with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. like actually defeating that.
1: Well, cuz performers were able to see that they had power yes. and that they had a voice. And so I think it made a really big difference and it and it I think it kind of shifted um, how performers see themselves. Yeah. Because I always wanted that to be part of apex 's goal was to help performers find value in themselves because a lot of them don't, for one, and a lot of them are being told for a long time that you are you can't do anything else, you're worthless, this is, you know. Mm-hmm. And so there are ways to really, like... Uh, get different skills in the industry, whether it's creating your own clips. I mean, we are kind of entrepreneurs in a way. A lot yeah. of us are. So, um, and we wanted performers to know that, like, you're you're worthy, <laughs> <laughs> you're special, and people really really <laughs> like you. <laughs>
0: it's true, though. I mean, there's a lot of you know. I, I wish sometimes. I could get girls when they're brand new and they come in and before like an agent has given them bad advice and just be like this – you can do it this way and you can have a positive experience because I know that there's girls that come in and they get – Fixed up with the wrong agent or they go in their first scenes with the wrong people and they get a completely different experience right. than somebody else might. I mean, you know, you can talk to two totally different people in this industry who can tell you completely different stories about their experience in the industry.
1: Right. And and being in APEC really opened my eyes to that other side because I feel like I've had very positive experiences in the industry. And I feel like overall, I'm a very privileged performer. Like mm-hmm. from the beginning, I was very protected. Yeah. You know, I was with a good agent. I worked for top companies, so I didn't have a lot of those. Have you been with Spiegler?
0: Almost the whole time. time. Yeah. Yeah. So see, you're so so lucky there because is great. Right.
1: And so I learned a lot about the other experiences that performers were having and I was like, oh my god, this this is really horrible. And what sucks is a lot of performers don't even have the freedom to talk about their bad experiences because sometimes people don't want to make the industry look bad. Yes. Um, And it doesn't. People will focus on that. Like if I did an interview and I was like, Oh, yeah, some girls do get taken advantage of on set. Depends on the the person, you know, the director. So I don't know if I just said something, that's what they would focus on.
0: Yeah. They would Especially ne- if you were talking to most mainstream outlets right. and they would focus on that. And there's a Chanel Preston says <laughs> all women have bad experiences yeah. in the porn industry. And you'd I be t- like, that's it, not what I said.
1: I tell people all the time, I'm like, performers don't have the freedom to have a bad day or complain about having a bad day. Yeah. Because that's what's focused on. And, and, We do have bad days sometimes, but then it's always looked at as like this coercive, exploitive thing. We're like, no, I just had a shitty day. But there are really horrible things that can happen in the industry, but people forget that there's – I mean, anyone can pick up a camera and say they're in porn. Yeah. So it's not like we're working for these big companies and there's all these horrible things happening on set. I mean, anybody can say they're in porn and they can say they're a director. And these are kind of the places where really bad things happen. Yes. And it's a dark side of the industry, but it's because the barrier of entry is like nothing. Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely true. But
1: as – I mean, it's – more legitimate than it's ever been yeah, and it's changed a lot over the years and I think that's what you want. You want progress. Right. It's like not perfect right. but we're working towards legitimacy and that's a lot better than it used to be.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's like the internet has created this all these shifts in how the industry went so like before the internet came along you know, there were very few companies and the industry was very small mm-hmm. so, you know, you didn't have, you couldn't, the barrier of entry was much higher because like, you couldn't just pick up a camera and shoot something and put it online because there was no online. Right. So you had to have a distributor yeah. for your content. You had to have the money it was to like make a the, company. Yeah. Like you <laughs> had to like you know, so it wasn't that easy. Um and then the internet came along and it was actually the internet paired with um low cost like uh camcorders. Right. Like, so rather than having those big broadcast cameras that were very expensive, now you could buy consumer video cameras that were super cheap. And so the combination of that was like the perfect storm for right. any. Now anybody could pick up a camera, start a porn company, and start shooting. So then that brought in like the dregs of society. And then you right. had some really like sleazy like you know low and it was just so easy and quick to make money yeah um and then that attracted a lot of new girls into the industry and so there was you have you know these scummy people coming in who want to be playing on on new girls playing on new girls and then as the internet kind of evolved and like camming evolved and social media evolved now people have a platform to be able to performers of a platform to be able to talk to each other right? without actually having to know each other, to be able to voice their grievances mm-hmm. and to be able to discuss with others and see actually how your experiences should be. right? And they also now have a means to be their own entrepreneurs so they can make their own content they can make their own money and now they don't have to go work for these sleazy companies that are preying on right. – you know what I mean? There's It gave so much more control back to the girl and so that shifted everything.
1: A lot of companies now are also – that's like their business model is helping girls – and not because they want to like help the girls because it makes them money. But mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's giving girls a platform to kind of have their own platform. Yes. It's like, um, which was not there before. Yes. Um, unfortunately, it's really hard to reach girls before they like get in and have the bad experience. Yeah. Like, how do you reach those performers first? Yeah. It's really hard to know where they're coming from. I mean, I've even contacted Craigslist and like, can we at least put an APAC um like thing on certain posts, you know, where, you know, girls are looking for jobs. Right. And I mean, I never heard back, but (laughs) but, because otherwise I'm like, I don't know what else to do because by the time they do realize that they could do this on their own, it might be too late. Yeah. They might've just had such negative experiences that they're gone or it's really messed with them. Yeah. But you're right. It's totally different now. I mean, performers can come in and just be in, they're totally in charge of their career. Yeah. Um, and we've tried to we tried to push that at APAC because we were kind of hoping it would push performers away from agents and help them take control of their career so they weren't like waiting around for that phone call mm-hmm. and pushing them into like desperate situations because mm-hmm. Uh, while we supported girls who escorted, some girls don't want to escort, but they felt pressure to escort or they felt like they had to because they weren't getting the calls. And so we were trying to create a place like you can take control and you don't have to necessarily be like waiting for that phone call or be you don't have to do something you don't want to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've heard about agencies that purposely like don't book you work because they also run an Doesn't, escorting yeah. thing on the side. And, um, so they won't like book you actual work, even though people will be requesting you, they'll say she's not available. And then they get forced yeah, into, not forced, but like felt like they have to do. Well, it is like a coercion. Because, I a feel coercion, like because cause cause then they can't pay the, yeah. their bills and they're not getting yeah. booked. And, um, that to me is like, that's just appalling.
1: Yeah. And you know, a lot of people are surprised to hear that a girl's willing to, Perform on camera, but not escort. But it does feel very differently because there are a lot of performers who you know and and they re, you know they respect you and they're like your family and it's easy to work with them. But when you're escorting, sometimes you don't know how people w- are going to treat you, and sometimes people don't treat you very well. And, and so also you have too, like,
0: it's not n- always a safe environment. No. When you're in a
1: porn set. Generally, it's safe. if yeah. there's
0: several people around, right. like you're not like not everyone's going to jump on you and gang rape you, right? And when
1: you're 18 and <laughs> escorting, like how do you navigate that? Yeah. I mean, all these like older men or I don't know. It's just I can't imagine doing that when I was 18. I don't even know what would have happened. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have been fine but (laughs) a lot of people
0: aren't. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No, I agree with you. I I also believe I'm not against escorting. I think that it should be legalized Mm -hmm. so that it can be regulated and it can be done in a safer manner because when you are forced to push it underground, then you know... That's
1: when people get really hurt. That's when people
0: get hurt and I mean it's you know, the oldest profession in the world.
1: I know. And you know what? It's <laughs> it's not legal now and people are still being it's, hurt by it. Like, because people are like, oh, prostitution and and underage prostitution. I'm like, but that's happening now. Yeah. It's, al- it's already happening. It's always going to happen. So why don't we decriminalize it and still address those problems? Yes. <sighs> yeah. Ah! You need to run for president. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I feel like I can now after Trump. Oh, be an dude, upgrade.
0: Anyone. <laughs> dude, anything would be an upgrade. I mean, come
1: on. You know, I was like, oh, okay, we'll see how this goes. I think I just wanted to be a little more positive, And then I was like, oh, God. <laughs> His character is just so bad. It's and
0: it's funny too, because I know that there are some Trump supporters that listen to this podcast. I'm going to get shit about that. <laughs> but I'm sorry. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm just not. I mean, I, I love it when people are like surprised that I'm not. I'm like, I work in porn. Right. I'm a young ish woman and I live
1: in California. Right. You like, really think yeah. that I'm going to be a Trump supporter? Like, come on. I mean, I'm not a Hillary supporter either. I mean, I'll admit that I voted for her, but yeah, it's was I voted because I don't. Because we didn't did, want Trump. Right. Yeah. But like it was like the lesser of two evils. I'm not a fan of Hillary either. Yeah. Um, I really
0: wanted Bernie. If
1: I, I'm not a fan of Bernie
0: either. You just don't like
1: anybody. <laughs> I, I I was telling someone yesterday, I was like, I, th- I just think Hillary kind of stands for women's rights because that's like it fits in her agenda sort uh-huh. of thing. I mean, if it didn't, I don't think she'd care that much, mm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, I don't really like her character either. I loved Bill. Can we bring Bill back? <laughs> I loved him. When he played the fucking
0: saxophone on like what, the Jay Leno's show. Oh, did he? I don't oh, know. Yeah. That, I feel like there was a lot of people who said like that like cinched him like winning the election. Oh. Because it was before he got elected. I'm pretty sure it was the Jay Leno show. It's amazing. And he played like the opening like on fucking saxophone. It was so awesome. I was it, like, oh my God, you're amazing. It's
1: amazing how far charisma goes. Because I was saying yeah. this yesterday, I was like, you don't have to have to have liked Obama, but you can't deny that he had charisma and he was a great speaker. Yes. And wow, what a difference now. Like it's just <laughs> you're like, okay, I even if you didn't like what Obama did or his policies, like he was a he was a, you know, he's a smooth guy. At least he wasn't a national embarrassment. Yeah. His uh International relations skills were much better. It's just like,
0: I mean, he didn't cause, I feel like, like, he didn't cause as much stress. Like, the country's just constantly stressed out by Trump.
1: Well, I think the media too uses it. Like, of they're course, having a blast. Oh,
0: dude, it's like selling. Right. So they're them. like
1: perpetuating this like yeah. uncertainty and whatever. So, That doesn't help at all because they're like, what did Trump do now? I got to wake up and look at my feed and see what stupid thing he said or did. Yeah. Um, But I feel like the media is having a good old time with it because they always have content. That is true.
0: (laughs) That is absolutely true. I guess you could say that politics has never been so interesting as it is now. Yeah. If that's the word you want to use.
1: It is interesting. Yeah.
0: So how did you get it? So let's, let's let's take away from politics. Right. So let's okay. Go back to like it's funny actually we never really go into politics on my show. So I'm I'm I like it. I'm glad that we have. They're
1: like, oh, "I hated that episode where you talked about politics." Oh, I've definitely had people who have been
0: like, "Please keep politics off your show." And I get all sassy and like, "It's my show. I do what I want. You shut your mouth." You shut your mouth. You
1: quit complaining. You take what I give you. Yeah. Or you, you get all like dominatrix listen. on them. Yeah. You're like
0: you will, take it. you will take it. You will take it. I will talk about whatever I want to. If I want to talk about poop. I'll talk about poop. I'll
1: we'll go from poop to
0: politics
1: <laughs> in two minutes. That should be your like slogan.
0: <laughs> That's actually really good. I like that.
1: You can have it. It's thanks. yours. All right. Thanks. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that.
0: Um, so how did you get into the industry? You got in in 2010,
1: right? Yeah, like like the beginning. Um, January 2000.
0: I, yeah. I read your Wikipedia. Woo!
1: Um, I was a stripper. Okay. And I met someone and they were like, you should do porn. I was like, mm, okay. Um, and I just, it was just very like a kind of random thing that I decided to do. Even stripping was very random for me. Mm-hmm. It was really out of curiosity. I was like curious about this world. I was like, what is this seedy underground world like? I want to check it out. <laughs> and so in every time I was doing it, it was very much like this experiment for me or like observation. I was like, oh, this is so interesting. What? A, oh, oh, this is weird. Like that was very, I don't know. So a part of me feels like I'm still doing that. am still like observing. I'm like, what's happening? Why do these people do this?
0: <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> how did you feel about stripping when you started it?
1: So I was so nervous. Like, that was so out of, like, character for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was in character in the sense that I was always very adventurous. But like I wasn't, like... Um, tying
0: up your naked girlfriend and putting her in a box. Yeah.
1: But I was always up for anything. I was like, yeah. okay. But I. But being a stripper probably seemed like that kind of came out of nowhere for my friends. Um, but I, I was so nervous. I, like, went in there. And I didn't want to admit that I wanted to be a stripper. Because I was like, I don't know how to dance. What if I'm bad? Mm-hmm. And I... <laughs> I said, well, if I'm bad, I want, like, okay, I knew they'd have me, if I went in and was like, I want to be a cocktail waitress, I knew that they would convince me to be a stripper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, well, if it's, the, if they're the ones that want me to do it and I'm bad at it, it's their fault, not mm-hmm. mine. Okay. So it was like more to save me the embarrassment because if it was more, <laughs> of, I, could like, it. Yeah, I could be like, I could be like, I wanted to be a cocktail waitress and you wanted me to get on stage and I did and I'm bad. This is on you. Yeah. Um. So And it worked out as planned. It was perfect. They were like, well, why don't you be a stripper? And I was like, really? <laughs> Me? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and uh, they're like, you can start Monday. And it was like Friday. Oh, my God. That was like the most nerve-wracking week- weekend of my life. I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe I'm doing this. And they were like, don't worry. We'll have like a veteran girl come in and teach you things. Like, didn't. <sighs> so on Monday, there was like hardly anyone in the club. And I went up on stage And I got up, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling this. I was like, ooh, oh, yeah. And I was, like, totally digging it. I was like, I like this. And there were, like, two young guys on the stage. And finally one of them yells at me and goes, take off your panties. And I was like, And it just, like, burst my little (laughs) bubble of eroticism. I was, like, having a good old time. And I was like, oh, my God, how rude. And I was, like, really appalled. I was like, "How dare he! You're a jerk!" Um, <laughs> and the rest is history.
0: Oh my god! So wait, did you take off your pants? Like, did that just throw you off the rest of your set?
1: Um, I I probably eventually took off my panties because the-
0: did you keep them on for a little while longer just to spite him? I don't like, remember. I'm not gonna do what you say. I
1: was. I, just- I don't think I had that much confidence at that time. Okay. I wasn't like, "Yeah, fuck you." It was, it was more like, "Oh my, oh, oh, my, what do I do now? If I take them off." Then I'm just doing what he says, but I don't even remember what I did. (laughs) They told me, they're like, first song you dance, second song is your bra, third song is your panty. Like there was like, you know, a routine. Wait a minute, three songs? Yeah. Like full songs? Yeah. That's a long time on stage. That's that's about standard. Is it? Yeah. It's like three to four songs.
0: I haven't been to many strip clubs.
1: Yeah, that's like your set. It's like three songs. Okay. And it's like you're like, you take your your bra off after so you do first one, you're just like, I'm so pretty. Second song, you take your bra off. Oh, it looks my titties. Then the third song, you take your panties off. Last one. And so they yelled at me before the third song, so it just really threw me off. (laughs) (laughs) What do I do now? (laughs) This is not the protocol. (laughs) Very
0: specific itinerary that you were following, and they I ruined did,
1: it. I did, and so I was like, "God, this is okay." Well, I feel like I, that was a good experience actually to have the first time because mm-hmm. throwing me off is actually really good for me. Okay, because it like I'll, st- I'll remember that next is. time I shoot you. I like it. I'm like, "Whoa, okay, I'm okay." Um, but yeah, I was like kind of observing the girls. I danced with a Tourette stripper. Oh, um,
0: what? Okay, yeah. we need to talk about this.
1: So I had a locker, and this must have been, like, my first or second day. I was really new. Mm-hmm. And a girl walks in, and she has the locker next to me, and she opens it, and she's just like, do, do, do. And then she goes, and, like, kicks the, the locker. And it startled me. I mean, she kicked it, like, full force. And I, was like, oh, and I was like, oh, my God, are you okay? And she was, I'm fine, and, like, walks off. And I was like, that was weird. Okay. and then And then, like, later in the night... I was at like the vanity doing my makeup and she was on the other side of the vanity. It was like a double. Uh And so I couldn't see her. All I could hear her and I heard her again. It was like, "Eh," and she kicks the wall. And I was like, oh my God. Hello? Are you okay? (laughs) And she was like, yep. And so I come to find out she was, she was Russian. So she didn't speak English very well. So she was a Russian Tourette stripper. (laughs) And her Tourette's, her thing was like, she'd kind of squeak and kick. But when she danced, she wouldn't get her tick. So she danced like she was a great dancer. Like she was like great pole dancer, and people would come in and be like, "Is there a Tourette stripper here?" I was like, "Yeah," but she doesn't do it when she's dancing. Oh, man, she well, should incorporate that into her set. She'd
0: well, be a star.
1: I guess it's common for people with Tourette's to there if they like follow certain like like dancing or sing- or something, then yeah. they their tick doesn't happen. But once they stop, it like happens. So that was her thing,
0: huh? That is funny.
1: Oh, so – I was
0: really hoping that, like, she was going to start screaming out obscenities in the middle of her
1: set. No, it, that's why I didn't – it probably would have been more normal if she just screamed obscenities. Like, mother – God, God it! I would be like, oh, that's – she She didn't get a tip. <laughs> <laughs> I would have just thought, like, oh, well, she's having a bad night. But, like, squeaking and kicking was not, like, on my radar for um, Tourette's. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's all. I actually
0: have shot a model with Tourette's, but hers was like just like a little like head shake and like a little
1: like, like a tick, I, like yeah, a little tick.
0: You couldn't, it wasn't, it wasn't that obvious. Right. Like you kind of had to really be paying attention. And, right. And uh, I, I think you're right. She wouldn't get it when she was doing like a strip tease or like a masturbation, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So it must have something to do with like
1: parts of your con- brain that you're using. Yeah. If you're and concentrating them, yeah. on yeah.
0: something that has a specific steps or whatever. I don't know. Bizarre. It is crazy. Well, thank you, Chanel, so much for <laughs> thank coming you on. For having I think me. that's a good place to end the podcast <laughs> with the Russian tr- stripper with Tourette's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think
0: so. Yeah. Um, can you tell everyone where they can find you on social media and uh, where they can find your podcast?
1: Uh, my podcast is on iTunes, uh, Google Play, Stitcher. It's also on YouTube. Um, Sex Think, all one word. Um, you can find me on Twitter. At Chanel Preston. I don't have an Instagram for Chanel Preston, so don't think I'm on there. I'm my show is, which is at Sex think Show.
0: Okay. But sexthinkshow, Show all one word yeah. on Instagram. But I
1: don't have a Chanel Preston Instagram. Okay. So don't be fooled if like there's if I'm asking you for money. Yeah, there's
0: several Chanel Preston Instagrams. That's why yeah, I didn't tag you this yeah. morning because I was like, I don't think any of
1: those are her. Yeah. Just Twitter. At Chanel Preston. Or at Sex think Show.
0: Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks, Holly. Thank you. And you guys can find me um, at Holly Randall on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash hollyrandallunfiltered. And I give away all kinds of cool prizes and perks. And your support is so appreciated. Well, we did actually get into some politics on that podcast. I normally kind of steer clear of those topics, but I don't know, with Chanel here and with how much she discusses politics and current affairs on her show, the conversation just kind of went in that direction, but I'm I'm glad that we did it. I'm glad that we kind of like went outside of my comfort zone and we didn't just stick to talking about boobs, and poop, which seems to be apparently my favorite subject of conversation. So I'm glad we had some kind of like serious talk there. So thank you so much, Chanel, for coming on, and I hope you guys enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Next week on the podcast, we have veteran porn star Kylie Ireland and her husband, Andy Appleton. Kylie was a very big name back in the 90s and early 2000s, and her and her husband now are pretty much the only... Art directors in the adult industry. So they've built a lot of amazing sets for me. They also work for other big companies such as Digital Playground and Wicked Pictures. And I've worked a lot with them in the past. They are a fabulous couple. They're hilarious. They're very much in love. And they have a lot of great stories about what goes on behind the scenes on porn sets. So I really wanted to have them come on and share all of that with you guys. So make sure that you stay tuned for next week. Holly Randall Unfiltered.